Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Everson from Villanova University, and welcome to the Big East Rewind. The Big East Rewind came about when Sonny Sparrow and I from Syracuse University were on a recruiting trip and became friends, and we've been friends ever since. And we had a bond that has developed over playing in the very tough Big East Conference. The Big East Rewind is all about Big East basketball, old school style with the battles and stories that came about during our time playing in the Big East. From the perspective of the media, coaches, former players, and even officials. So we hope you enjoy the Big East Rewind. On this edition of the Big East Rewind, we talk with Dana Barros, Boston College legend. He had his number retired up in the rafters at Boston College, and he was a 15-year pro and an all-star in 1995. Dana goes through his whole career as he started out as a football player first and then became a 15-year NBA veteran. You're not going to want to miss this one. Stay tuned for Dana Barros on the Big East Rewind. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Big East Rewind. I am Chuck Everson, your host from Villanova University, and my co-host, as always, the Italian stallion from Syracuse University, Sonny Sparrow, ladies and gentlemen. How are you, Sonny? Chuck, I'm doing great. We got a guard, a, a point guard, but a I shooting know. guard, a little combo guard. It's nice to have some guards in the, in, in the, in the Big East Rewind stable here today. Yeah, every once in a while, I got to let you win, Sonny, sometimes. You know, we you can't know, have, have the so big guys, guys on all the time. You know, I get Killing it. me with that. You know, there are five positions on the floor. We have to, you know, share the wealth a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah if we don't share the wealth, you ain't getting it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That's, I, I Believe me, I know. So, all right. So that said, let's let's introduce our guest today. He was the 1989 16th overall pick in the NBA draft by the Seattle Supersonics. He had a 15-year NBA career, a 1995 All-Star appearance as he was a member of the 76ers at that time. You know, he scored 2,342 points at Boston College. We got the Boston College Eagles back in today. His number three hangs in the rafters in Boston College. And now he he's the owner-operator of Dana Barros Basketball Club, the great guard from Boston College, Dana Barros. Thanks for joining us, Dana. How are you today? I'm good. Pleasure to be here. I uh, look forward to, uh, been looking forward to being on the show for a minute. So uh, looking forward to getting it started with you guys. Yeah, it's, it's been it. a lot of fun. You know, when we get involved, you know, you find out as you start talking about the Big East Conference and how difficult it was to play in there and how challenging it was. We find out there's a lot of bonds between guys that we didn't even know even exist, even between Hoyas and Orange Men like Sonny here, you know. And we found out that we had friends that we didn't even know about, Dana, you know. So it uh, it worked out really, really great uh, that when we got involved with this thing. So we appreciate your time and coming on the show today. Thank you very much for that. So okay, okay. So you started out. You 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 went to Zavarian Brothers High School in Westwood, Mass. And, you know, I got, I heard from somebody that knows you a little bit. Your first love wasn't necessarily basketball, right? You were a football guy first, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I was, I was ranked higher as a football player. I was the top 50 football player in the country. So a lot of my visits, um, a lot of my, you know, major college contacts were with Michigan, Notre Dame, Miami, teams like that. And I would, I would often ask them to send me basketball information and they weren't too happy. <laughs> <laughs> they, they that, that's a, that's a, like a lineup right there man you can't get too much higher yeah miami and was like the number one team in the nation and i used to wear miami gear all around that i they used to send me all the time in, in um, high school so um but i did the, the crazy thing was my two visits to boston college were football visits with doug flutie right after he won the heisman and was on the sports wow. Illustrated. i'm i'm going to bc on a football visit and doug flutie i'm staying with him in his in his dorm and we're playing basketball in the complex all weekend. He didn't, we didn't talk, talk about football. We went to uh, a Big East game. And this is the first time when I really had a doubt on whether I really wanted to do this. Was on a football visit, it's me, Doug Flutie, was sitting at half court. And it's Boston College against Georgetown. And I remember the first time 
Pat Ewan walked by, drenching with sweat, like right in front of me. And he was like way bigger than I thought. And I was like, oh shit, like, do I really want to do that? That was the first time I really had doubts, but it made me really go go into my summer and the rest of my year just really pushing because that's that's what I wanted to play. That was that was junior NBA to me. That was Georgetown was number one or number two in the country. Did you guys upset? Did BC upset them in that game? No, the next year when I played, um, we beat them at number two in the country when they had Reggie Williams and yeah, Humble and Morning was on the team at that time. You know, so right. um. But I, the, the year before I, I, I went there, we, they did go to the final eight. Then Michael Adams and those guys did beat Georgetown, I think, one time um, previous to that. So they had a great team the year before I got there. But, you know, when I, yeah. when I came, everyone left. So I was, you know, I was dolo almost out the gate. Tell you, they, they didn't miss Michael Adams too much when you stepped through the door. I can tell you that. Hey, that's my guy, though. Salute to Mike. He, 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 oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. That's a big loss for a program. But when Dana Barrow steps in. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, you it. know yeah. what, Sonny? You know, you talk about you talk about speed at that position, right? You yeah. had John Bagley first. Yeah. And Mike I Adams comes in, who was like, mm -hmm. then Dana, who's and Dana's running made his first year was Dominic Presley, which was like a, a jet. The guy was uh, the guy was incredibly fast. Rest in peace, Dom. I mean, yeah. you know, um, you know, I so coming out coming out with all those fast guards, man. And you know, we'll jump right into the BC stuff since we started talking about this. So let me ask you. So now you come out and you're playing for Gary Williams your first year, right? And he's playing a different type of different style of basketball than you played your last three years with Jim O'Brien. Talk about that. And did that hinder your game at all? Did you think that that kind of handcuffed you a little bit? Uh, great, great question, because it was two total polar opposite styles. Gary Williams came when I got to BC, we were pressing, we were doing what you seen Rick Pitino do. We were doing that, you know, seven or eight years early. We didn't, we didn't have a set defense. We just played from full court, uh, press man to half court press man or trap. And then, um, he really didn't care about offensively. He's like, okay, what to do on offense? You just get into the defense. And when you get the ball, just go, I don't care. Take a shot within seven or eight seconds. And let's get the tempo up and get the game crazy. And then O'Brien came in, and it was the total opposite. It was slow down, and he wanted me to be more of a point guard, set the uh, you know set the team up, get us into in the places we needed we needed to be. And it was a total opposite change, and it was difficult, um, definitely in the beginning. Let me ask you this: Like, do you think that helped you though in the NBA? Because now you show that you can adapt. You're you're good in two different styles, two different coaches. Do you think that helped you there? Definitely. Um, it taught me a little more discipline in the game. I think the way we were playing with Gary Williams, there was a lot of turnovers. There was just a lot of helter-skelter basketball. And I think, um, you know, for us to win in the Big East, we couldn't play that way. We didn't have the athletes that everyone else had. So the structure and the discipline and, you know, the patience, it definitely helped me in the long run in terms of getting to the league. Because when I, when I got to the league, I definitely wasn't the number one option, and I had to do the things that I had to do when Gary, uh, when uh, Jim O'Brien came to the team. So now, when you when you came in and you're with Gary, you know, I'm looking at how many points you scored, and 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 it went up every single year. Did did that become about because of necessity, Dana? Because of who was with you those last couple of years on the squad, or does that did that play into any type of way to? you know, slow down, set up, then find a hole, you know, slash or whatever you did to score, you know? How did that work out? It was very easy with Gary Williams because the game, the style of the game, even though we didn't have a three-pointer, it was just an open floor. My speed was just, was just, uh, you know, I really unmatched. And, you know, I'd really never played against someone who was as fast as me. Maybe Muggsy Bogues was the only guy. So that to me was a great, great, you know, thing for me. But um, when, when, the, when we slowed the game down, I mean, it was just, um, I had to become more efficient. You know what I mean? I had to yeah. become a better shooter, better scorer. But as we started to lose games and Jim O'Brien would say, okay, I need you to set it up. But at the same time, I need you to get 25. You know, he started as he went on and the, and the losses started to pile up. He started to say, hey, I need you to do this, but I also I'm going to need 25 regardless of what happens on the other end. So, yeah, he, he changed the mode a little bit because – Again, the Big East was just unbelievably talented. 
but but teams are starting to key on you now, right? You're 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 the guy. So you know when when they're game planning, I'm sure when Syracuse is game planning for BC, they're like, okay, we got to do something about number three, and we got to you know make sure that we're checking him early and we're getting help. You know, had to be harder to do even better. Did you find that, or what? What was what were some of your thoughts going in like your junior senior years? Absolutely harder. Um, but when I did look, when I look back on it. The thing that allowed me to be successful was I still shot, I think it was 48 or 49% from the floor of my career. And then like, you know, the last three years with the three-pointer, it was in the 43 to 44 point range. So if they did give me, I remember games, I was eight for 11 from the floor, you know, 11 for 14. I was very efficient, you know, and I was able to be successful. So, um, and that's, and that's a, um, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to my teammates as well because they set a lot of picks. You know, I mean, I came off a lot of picks during those times. And, uh, you know, they had a great influence on that as well. But, yeah, when I look back and now just getting on Instagram two years ago, I watched my old tapes and videos. And I say tapes because they literally are tapes on the VCR. <laughs> um, because I was I was an unbelievably efficient player with boxing ones and, and a lot yeah. of other defenses on me, you know. Yeah, and I'm sure Georgetown didn't play you soft. No, actually, George, Georgetown, I remember John Thompson said he, he would never play boxing one. And when we watched the film, he was literally in a boxing one, you know, and that was something that I took with a lot of pride because he uh, he kept denying it and kept denying it. But I knew he was playing a boxing, you know, uh, a quote unquote, you know, uh, ghost boxing one. So that was a lot of that. That was something that that really hit me home. I love that. Yeah, I mean they were they were difficult no matter what kind of defense they were playing. They ran that full court stuff all the time and were, you know, gave us a hard time too. Every time we played those guys, it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah Charles Smith full court. You had uh, was Victor Gene Page and those guys. It was Victor on that team too. Reggie Williams, um, Jaron Jackson, and Michael. Um, Michael Jackson was for at least a year or two, right? Michael still had some Mike time. was my year, so he only played one year against uh, the one year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was it was they were tough, man. They were and they were physical and they and they played that brand and they and they um you know that that reputation that they had, they lived and died by that. And that's how they played. It was no that was no show. Who are who yeah. are some of your memorable matchups? Like guys that you knew that you were gonna face this weekend or this this you know, this evening. Who are some of the guys that you remember being this is gonna be a good matchup? A lot of great players, but I mean, I, I remember Sherm Douglas, you know, Sherm wasn't like a, a major, like 30 point a game scorer, but he was an unbelievable point guard. He knew how to play the game. He knew where and when to get in, get his stuff in. And um, I knew that he wanted to step up to the challenge every time he played. And I looked, I looked forward to playing against him. You know, he was, he was a, a great player. And they had a lot of great players on that team as well, but you know, he was just one of the guards that I said, okay, today, not only is Syracuse a great team, but he was always the first team Big East over me, you know what I mean? Um, and deservedly so, you know, uh, either way. But um, I just always stepped up to that challenge, you know. he was They were the best team most of the time, and he was the best player on that and made that team go at least, you know, most of the time. When you when you signed with the Celtics, was Sherman at the, at the Celtics too or no? Sherman was, was on the Celtics for half that year. And then also – I was Comes also Cliff Robinson. Cliff Robinson was someone that played in Connecticut. I always looked and I always looked to say, okay, Uncle Cliffy's gonna, you know, he's gonna put numbers up. I want to make sure I get more numbers than Uncle Cliffy. And I ended up playing with him in Detroit, man. We became real good friends. That's gotta make it fun when you when you go when you go to a team in the NBA and all of a sudden you're you're teammates now with somebody that you battled on the floor. There's gotta be a lot of trash talking and stuff in the locker room and stuff like that. I'm sure some of that stuff went on. Talk about that a little bit, how that is when you when you run into a, a former foe who's now a friend. Definitely. I mean, and that happens even when guys on the same team. Like, I had to learn very quickly coming into the league that when I came into the league, we had Avery Johnson, Sedale yeah. Three, Nate McMillan, myself, and I think one other guard. And, and it was when we were on the court, no one was talking to each other. It wasn't like, hey, you're supposed to be over there. It, it was no he's messing up let him mess up you know so there's a lot of that because especially nowadays with so much money so I had to learn quickly that you know that 
friends friends are enemies. Keep your enemies close. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of teams yeah. out there. Well, you got that, a little Italian in you. I see that. You got a little Italian yeah. in you. <laughs> I always had a chip on my shoulder. Always, no matter. Always because of the size. And I was never highly recruited. I always felt I should have, you know, been one of the highest recruited guys in the Big East. And I never was. And I never got a, a scholarship. And I had a huge chip on my shoulder. And, I, and that's um, one of the reasons why I was able to be successful, uh, you know, throughout my career. Now, you were in Seattle, what, four years? Yes. And then did you go to the Sixers next? When did you get to the Sixers? Yeah, I went to the Sixers. I was like a three-way trade. I was in Charlotte for like three days. And then I knew I was going to Philly. I was there for two years. And I went to Boston for six, Detroit for two, back to Boston for one. So I played. But, you had, you had, but the Sixers, you had that was where you had your all-star year, right? I, um, so, I was in So what Seattle. was that like? What, what, what did the Sixers look like at that point? Well, I mean, I got there and it was, I played behind Gary Payton for three years in Seattle. So I wasn't playing much, but I was, I was just telling this to, to Seattle. I just didn't want to come back. I just said that he's Gary Payton. He's going to, he's getting better every year. He's going to, you know, play 40 minutes a game. And I don't, I don't know what I can do. And, you know, I left on bad terms. I think that the end of my fourth year. And I said, if you don't trade me, I'm going to come back. I'm not going to be nice Dana. I'm a very nice guy, but. We're talking about my life here, my career. I'm a free agent at the end of the year. So I kind of not forced my way out, but I got out of there and I went to Philly and I was so ready, man. I was so prepared. Um, you know, again, like I said, that chip on my shoulder and I got there and um, that first year won, you know, like most improved player okay, and lit it up. Yeah. went on from there. You know, my confidence is built. On the court, confidence built. You know, I always have confidence in my ability, but there's a there's a separate thing in the league where you have that on the court confidence where that's diff that's a different level. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, when you when you went over to Philly now, <clears throat> and you went, so how did that? How did take us through the process of being selected for the All Star team and going through that? That had to be, you know, from a guy that was getting scholarship offers and looks for football. And here you are, and now you're now you're an all star. What's that yeah, like? One of the top twenty players. I mean, that's that's great. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's unbelievable. Crazy. Yeah, that was crazy because that second year, even though I had averaged like fourteen my first year in ninety ninety four, I you know I had really established myself. I thought as the as the guard for the next year, they drafted a guard. I think it was twelfth, twelfth or thirteenth pick overall. So now I'm coming in with B J Tyler. And they're expecting and wanting him to play. John Lucas was a new coach. I never had him before. I had yeah. 11 in 15 years. So I've had so many different coaches that wanted different things. So it was just another coach and another style for me. And what happened was um, BJ Tyler, the guy they drafted, got hurt for like three days in camp. And then that was it. I just took over. He came back and he never got the spot back. And as the season went on, Jeff Malone got hurt. And it was kind of me going from 12 points a game, the first 15 or 20 games of the season where the last 30 games, I probably averaged 27, you know what I mean? And it yeah. just, and then again, it was the efficiency. I shot 48 or 49% from the floor that year and 46 from the three point line. You know, wow. it was just, when I'm in my rhythm, I'm super efficient. I only took 15 or 16 shots a game and averaged 22 points, you know, and that's how I like to play super efficiently. What well, you know? A, you know I'm sticking in Philadelphia for a second because that's where yeah, that's where I played, right? Yeah, because Chuck can't leave Philadelphia. That's I can't why. leave Philadelphia. Tell, tell me, tell me about the tell me about what it's like with that fan base in Philadelphia. They are some of the most wildest, most passionate fans probably in the whole league, right? Both good and bad. I mean, if you're if you're not doing well, they let you know right away, right? Absolutely, because I felt. I felt blessed that they were they were on my side because I <laughs> every year. But at the same time, um, I was there during the Sean Bradley experiment during his rookie oh. year. It was just an absolute disaster. I mean, um, him coming out of college on a two year sabbatical, not playing basketball for two years because he went to he was a Mormon coming out of right. Utah. So he came to Philly to training camp, not even touching the basketball for two years. On top of that, we could have drafted Chris Weber or Penny Hardaway because we were the second pick 
Don Nelson wanted to wanted Sean Bradley. He wanted to to not take Chris Webber. So the fans thought we were going to get Chris Webber. So they were pissed off right out the gate. Sean comes in struggling because he's he hasn't played in two years. Um, we didn't have the nutritionists that we have now. So the owner of the team, which is, is going to sound crazy to everyone, the owner of the team, who's not the owner now, had he had a bakery. And they would bring Sean Bradley cakes and pastries every day to <laughs> wait on him. Wow. So this guy's growing up at halftime, the first month of the season, he's trying to process all this terrible food they're trying to put on him, to put weight on him. And it's just a ter- and the fans are booing mercilessly, bro. And I say, yeah. I mean, when we come off with a warm-up line, it's up. I mean, that's <laughs> all up. And I felt so bad for this guy. But at the same token, I was... I was on a natural high experience in the greatest, you know, two years of my career. And just a side story, which is an unbelievable story. That all-star year in Philly, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, one of my favorite players ever to play against and watch, was at Lower Marion High School at this time. Right. And, and John Lucas's daughter goes to Lower Marion and she keeps telling us about this guy, Kobe. So... I used to do with Tom Thibodeau, the Knicks coach, I would do a pick and roll 20 minute pregame workout every game, right? Every game, Thibodeau would have me out there coming off this way, come off that way. And I was averaging 22 points a game off that pick and roll. And, and I saw Kobe Bryant would sit at least 10 to 15 games during the season, would sit on the sideline and he would just sit there and watch. And Thibodeau would tell me after. I would go in, Kobe, he would sit down with Kobe and Kobe wanted to know how I scored 21 points a game using the pick and roll at 17 years old. And I, and looking wow. back, I say, that's why he was, he's a different, he's, he's a, he's a different individual at yeah. 17. So sitting there studying the game by himself and wanted to know how I was. So that was my first interaction meeting him. And um, and it was just an honor to um to know to know Kobe and again rest in peace. That's just a great story during that season that to look back on was amazing. So I gotta ask you a serious question about Philadelphia. <laughs> cheesesteaks, Geno's or Pets? What's your what's your favorite cheesesteak? I was I was living near Geno's. I was I was the closest thing to me, so that's where I always went, man. Dick, All right, we gotta vote for Geno's. I was going to say, why are they giving Sean cakes and cookies when you got cheesesteaks right down the road? Yeah, it was crazy. I don't think he ever, I don't think he ever knew in his life, you know, what a cheesesteak was. I don't think he understood. <laughs> he got, he got. <laughs> they should have had Sylvester Stallone come in and give you some good racky food. Right. That's yeah. it. That's it. So, so now you, you, you were actually in the three point shooting contest a few times, right? Five or six yep. times, I think. Right. And came and in second twice. Came so, in second. Who did who did you come in second to? Um, I believe um, it was. I'm not sure if it was Larry Bird. My one of my first couple of years won it. Um, and I and I tied to the, and didn't make it to the end. Um, I, I, I tied in the in the in the <laughs> second. But um, Mark Price, um, oh. we get me and him both. We make it to the finals. We flip the coin. I win the coin flip, and they said, "Do you want to go first or last, Dana?" I said, I'll go last. And I sit down and Mark Jackson, I think, broke broke the all-time record. He made 25 out of 30 shots. And wow. first three shots, two of the first three shots on the first bracket, I couldn't win, you know. <laughs> so right. that was a couple of bad memories, but great experiences. But, you know, never got to win a three-point contest at the All-Star game. But I do have a big glass ball for the 92 and 93 end season uh, three-point championship trophy. So I won, oh, I nice. won 92-93 championship percentage for that. So, so talk about talk about playing in Boston now, Dana, you know, with the Celtics. You know, I know that you help mentor guys like Paul Pierce and and people like that. I know Paul came to you uh, on occasion to talk about certain things, you, you being the veteran at that point when he came in. Talk about that relationship and the relationship that you had with some of the younger guys that played on the Celtics that turned out to be now, you know, hall of fame caliber guys. Definitely. Um, 
And then, and then coming from Philly, the first day of training camp when I signed with the Celtics, after we had a lockout, we had a lockout, you know, we missed like half the season one little. But the first time I come into training camp, I severely twisted my ankle, severely. So I ended up playing the whole year. The very next year, I, I severely twisted again, and I'm out the whole year. I played like six games. And my whole game changed. Like when I'm in Seattle, I used to catch lobs from Gary Payton. I could 360 dunk. When people see me play in Boston, I couldn't jump off my ankle. I had, I had ankle surgery. And on both sides of my ankles, I had bone spurs. And I lost a lot of athleticism. So when you see me in Boston, I was basically a shooter. I was still quick and fast, but not the 4340 and the 43 inch. You know what I mean? I was, I was just quick and I could shoot the ball. So I really had to kind of change my role. I was hurt a lot, and Antoine came in. And when Antoine came in, Rick Pitino came in. M.O. Carr was there for a couple of years, but we were trying to get Tim Duncan. You know the story of what happened with that. So yeah. when we're trying to win, win, and we start playing this super fast style, and Antoine was there. And Antoine, I really took him under my wing early, um, tried to teach him how to, you know, the pick and roll, we were unbelievable at the pick and roll. Me and him, we we played extremely well off the pick and roll. It was great playing with him. Then Paul comes in like a year later. And Paul had a tough, tough coming in because Bettino wanted Dirk Nowitzki or Keith Van Horn, I think it was. Keith Van Horn or Dirk Nowitzki. And um, I think Van Horn was taken or Nowitzki was taken one pick before Paul, ninth or something like that. And we ended up taking Paul. So Paul always felt when he got there that he was never wanted. You know what I mean? He always felt yeah. like he never wanted him there, him and Patino. And he would take everything very hard, him and Antoine. So I was really that mentor for Paul and just trying to teach him that, like, the, what we were doing with Patino wasn't like real NBA. Like, it wasn't normal NBA. We were doing stuff that was way to the left, illegal practices and, and all kind of stuff. And I said, bro, just you just got to make it through this. Chauncey Billups was there. A half a year and it was gone. Chris Mills was there for three weeks and was gone. So it was just like madness. And that and that really being heard and having those young guys around and get to see them making all-star teams was was unbelievable. So yeah, it was great to mentor those guys. And you know, Paul was like friends with my kids. He came by my house, he played Sega every day. And I literally, when when he went through the incident, listen, I would literally, you know. Make sure that he was good every time he got off a plane, you know, go to the crib with him. Like, that was my guy, you know, my man, 50 grand all the way through. And I give him nothing but props and I salute him because they asked him, did he want to be traded after that? And he said, no. He said, I'm not going nowhere. Boston is one of the greatest cities ever with the best his history in this organization. And I ain't going nowhere. And I, I got to salute because I was gangster after what happened to him, you know. So in, in, in your in your experiences with Boston, did you ever come across any of those situations where you wouldn't see that in other places? No, I mean, it's everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, uh, we can look at, you know, guys are getting trouble in their own cities in terms of just leaving the place and something happens to them right outside of their own, you know, where they grew up. So. That was always something, and um, being from Boston, that really hurt me, you know what I mean, to happen to someone on the Celtics. And I just make, tried to make sure that from that point on, and I would give Antoine a lot of credit, we never went out individually. We always went out as a team. If we were on the road or we were home, Antoine, who was the kind of the, the king of the, king of the uh, going out, you know, he would say, who's going out tonight? We're all going together, you know what I'm saying? And we're leaving yeah. together, together, and that really – kind of brought the team a lot closer together from that standpoint on. That's smart. That's smart. Now, from Boston, you went to Detroit? Yes, I went to Detroit. I actually, um, it just was, you know, with with um, the coaching there, it just got to a point where I really wanted out, you know what I mean, at that point. Um, and I was traded to Detroit, yes, in the summer of, I think it was 99. So Detroit's such a different city and a different environment. Did you feel more... You know, like, I know it's not home, Boston's home, but did you feel like, hey, this, this city could work? Honestly, no, I didn't. I had no idea. I was traded to Detroit. But when I look back, it was such a blessing in disguise. I was actually hurt. I had, that's after the ankle surgery. 
I came back too early and I ended up hurting my back and I had herniated two herniated discs in my back. Oh. So I was it out the oh. whole year, right? I got traded to Detroit. The trainer from Detroit calls me and he says, Dana, I'm not a trainer, I'm a kinesiologist, which is a, a, a master's degree in muscle movement. He said, there's nothing wrong with your spine. He said, I, I'm, I want you to come in and give me a week. And, and if you don't feel better, you can go back home for the whole year. My whole, you know, my, my whole leg was numb from the, the, my, my, my disc being bulged. Sure. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, I don't even want to get on a plane and go out there. This is crazy. Like, you know, I'm supposed to be home all year with my family. So he talks me into going out there. And he shows me on the computer, like, what he thinks. And then he, he puts me through this stretching thing, man. And I literally cried like a baby. It was so painful. And literally a week later, I was dunking the basketball again. Wow. And he had shifted my pelvis <clears throat> to, like, he showed me on an MRI before and after. We had shifted my pelvis. And to me, the experience in Detroit was not good at all. We were terrible. Without that, I wouldn't have my gym right now i couldn't play basketball with my two kids i literally would, would walk in the mall for 10 minutes and had to sit down if i wasn't moving i couldn't stand up they wanted to fuse my l4 l5 yeah, yeah, L3 and i said that's no I'm the rest of my life you know wow yeah that side of it people don't see that side of it because my friends now that i played with when they walk when you say do i see those guys they walk like Ralph Sampson walks. You know what I'm saying? Like it's different. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There's yeah. some there's some permanent injury that lingers, right? Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, because we didn't have the the sneakers that they had now with the support. We didn't fly commercial. We flew. We I mean, we flew commercial. You could smoke on the airplane, bro. My first seven years <laughs> in the league. So I'm no babies crying. The, the lady smoking the cigarette. Sean Kemp is sleeping in the aisle because he can't fit in the seat. You know what I mean? Wow. This is what we did the whole year, you know? Right. We yeah. wait for 45 bags to get off the plane half the half the time. You know, people were stuff was missing, uniforms were missing. It was craziness, man. That that <laughs> is that so, is madness. That's so I gotta madness. ask you, when did you formulate, hey, I wanna create a basketball center? When did that whole thing come about? Because I've had girls, I've had my teams play at that Dana Barrow Center. It's an amazing place first class every way shape or form but when did that all when did that vision come to you really honestly man it was my mother i have to say because after my first year in the nba my mother made me come back to my high school and run a free camp for all the kid, inner city kids so every year i had a free camp maybe after i think it was when i retired if the camp became not free but we had um scholarships for like 75 of the 150 kids so i give my mom all the credit she forced me to have free camps to give back to the community and that's how it started and then as as i retired and we went to more of a of a business model it actually worked on both sides i got to give a lot of kids free stuff and at the same time i got to have a business model that worked for me in terms of being retired i haven't really worked since i retired this has been my job and my business so I've been able to um, use my name and, and, and have the ability to teach kids. Like, it doesn't work if the kids don't get better. You know what I mean? So the reason yeah. why I have longevity of doing this for 30 years is I'm there almost every day. Um, I don't coach anymore, but I walk around during all the clinics. And the people that come through my programs get better. And that's, that's the, the key for me. And that's why I do it. Um, and everyone knows who the Allen Iverson is, you know, Allen, everyone knows who the great players are, but I have kids that come through my program and, you know, go to these, you know, maybe prep schools and end up ex being extremely great players. And I'm proud of it. You know, um, there's about five or six pros that used to work out in my gym now. So um, I just, I love it, man. It's, it's been something that I've always dreamed of doing since my mom made me do it. <laughs> yeah. that That's what it's all about. Giving back. Right. Dana. I mean, that's why we all play this thing. We've, we've taken so much from the game, all of us, you know, and, and it's it's only right to uh, to give back, you know. Uh, I think that's great that you're doing that. What do you see in these kids today that may or may not be a little different? I mean, as far as in the intensity level, I was having a conversation just today with somebody 
And they were saying that there's no, you don't see the passion for things like you used to, you know, like AAU, I think sometimes kind of waters things down because it's always next game, next game. There's no emphasis on, you know, winning and losing when you're playing in the park and there's four necks after you, you know, you, you want to win and stay on the floor. You don't, you don't want to come out. Talk about that a little bit and what you're finding as you, as you go through your business uh, that you have. Well, I mean, so we have, I have 40 teams, like 41 or two teams. So we have all different levels. We have, you know, the very, very beginning level and we have about seven or eight super elite teams. And the thing that I noticed over the years are the players are so much more athletic, you know, in terms of just super athleticism. But the basics of the game just aren't there. You know what I mean? They don't have the passion of the eight-hour days of I'm going to go to the park and just constantly dribble the ball with my left hand. I have an open gym every day from three to five, and I stand up on the bridge and I look at from my office and I see five courts and I see kids doing step back, Steph Curry three air balls and <laughs> yeah. there's kids doing inside out left hand layups, you know and. But I try to explain to the parents and the coaches that when you can go to the other end of the court, dribble, take off, and dunk from the free throw line, you have to have a different mentality to practice free throws. You know what I'm saying? A kid is not going to just have that mentality. And I think I give a lot of, of the negativity to the coaches because in my business of AAU, I've seen coaches – Tell a kid on his team, you're not on my team anymore, and take a kid from another team while wow. they are on the road. So a kid from New York team will come up. He'll tell a kid from New York who's on his team, we're going to take him. He's from, he's from Connecticut. He's now playing with us. You're not riding back. I've seen that. Wow. And yeah. that's the disgusting side of, the, of the, um, the basketball where it's not about the kids anymore. And it's hard for kids – to really have the passion and the discipline that's needed when it's all about, oh, you're going to give me free sneakers? I'll go play with you. Oh, we're going to Vegas next week? I'll quit my team right before we go to Vegas, and then I'll go with them. And the kids are so spoiled, I don't know how you, you can create the discipline in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's an in, it's interesting, right? The whole phenomenon of that what you just described is is interesting because that's not how it was when when you played, when Sonny and I played. You know, you went out in the street, you worked, you go to the park, you play. If I was to make a move and got by you somehow, I, and, and it might have been by accident just to escape, you know, then I would come home and work on it. And then I would go to the park the next day and try to use it in a game, kind of like a laboratory type of thing where I'd go home, work, and then go back and see if it works, you know, or I have to tweak it or stuff like that. They don't they do not do that much anymore. And, and, it's, and you, it shows, I mean... Just simple things like pivoting and reverse pivots and being able to escape from, you know, especially in a post, if you can't, if you don't have footwork, you, you, you're not going to, you're not going to score at all. And, you know, th these are all the things that, you know, I, I think some of these AAU programs lack because they just, I guess gym space is a problem unless you have your own facility like you do. Um, sometimes that becomes an issue, right, for these guys. So they just play game after game after game. Absolutely. And, and it's about scoring. You know what I mean? It's mostly about scoring. So it's always individual. It's, it's very individual on a, from an offensive standpoint. It's a lot of backing the ball out. And let me show you, I'm about to come at you one-on-one. -on -one, and it's a lot of that. And it's just, it's hard to watch, man. It really is. Yeah. yeah. In teams where, you know, it, you think you're in an A division pool and the games are 75 to 12, you know what I mean? And it's right. the kid can't get the ball over half court. And to me, I don't want to be that team. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that plays against that team. You know what right. I mean? Like the reality of everybody wanting to go to the same team and go 72-0, and 0, what the hell is that? Like, who's teaching you that? Where they do that at? You know what I mean? Right. Like, no, I don't want that. I'm picking these three dudes, and we're going against you. And like you said, if I lose, I'm at the crib, at the park, working on what I got to do. I'll see you next week, bro. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that's, tough. That's it's Joker. Tough. That's what he did in Denver, right? He just said, exactly. "I'm here and just put some players around me. Let's go." He has That's he didn't right. have an all star on his team, you know. Yeah, Great. it was, you know, it's it's it it's tough. It's it, you're right, and I'm glad it's refreshing to hear you talk, Dana, because Sonny and I talk about this all the time off the air about you know hoops and stuff, and 
you know, how much the game has changed over the years, you know, and in some regards change is good, but, but when you see players coming up and I know guys that coach at the college level, obviously, and at the pro level, you know, and they say the same things I'm teaching guys, you know, how to do the the most minute things at the pro level that they should know in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And they still, they still haven't mastered it at that level. It's, it's, you know, coming off a pick on how to pick and pop versus pick and roll and things like that, you know, that they don't even know what goes on. It's, look it's, at, look at what you said in the pros, 20 minutes you spent coming off screens, shooting the ball as, as a warm up. Right. I guarantee there's very few teams that do that in a two hour practice for any period of time. Yeah. 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 Big. I mean, you'll see a guy, you know, like, and no disrespect to any players. If I like, so just right. take a Capella, unbelievable role guy to the basket, great rebounder, great shot blocker. If he could knock down a 15 foot pick and pop, he would be a max guy. Like what? He's been in the league. How long? Seven, eight years. Yeah. How hard is it to teach someone to, to set a pick and pop? And hit a 15 foot jump shot. Like, like you said, it's the basics of the game. You know, it's just, I mean, to me, and then and as a shooter, I don't care. Like, I watch these guys, some people shoot, and it's you can take a million shots a day. You'll never be a good shooter because it's technical. It's yeah. technical. Shooting like like this, and you're finished yeah. like this. There's only one Jim Furick in the in the golf, man. Where to go? <laughs> there's only one. <laughs> That's right. You know, that's a great example. Yeah. It's all shooting this window. Larry Bird, Steph Curry, you know, Mark, all the greatest shooters are here. No one's here shooting here. So technically, why isn't there someone teaching the basic technique of shooting where your elbow straight at the basket and you follow through? It's just amazing to me for 200, 300 million dollars and all the analytics in the world. That that guy everyone has that like, golfers have a swing coach right yeah yeah, yeah. right now the center has to be able to make threes there should be five shooting coaches on every team yeah. you know yeah. you're not kidding yeah i want to ask shooting you can you can you still knock a few down dana oh absolutely man absolutely <laughs> Listen, there was never a done i already knew the answer i already knew that so ask go ahead sonny how the kids are nowadays, every single one of them talk so much shit. It's crazy. I walk in the gym, I'm minding my business in the open gym, they're playing two of the I cook you right now. <laughs> in front of everybody, right? What am I supposed to do? So yeah, I'm in shape, bro. Like I go out there, I don't play full court because I'm too competitive. I'll pull a hamstring. Cause if someone goes at me, I'm coming right back at you. And I so I get hurt when I try to play full court, but I love playing half court, especially against the high school kids, you know, um, and just to, uh, just to keep in shape. And it's and, and to me, the kids listen a lot more when you can do that. You know, when you oh, when yeah. you yeah, yeah. Hey, no, it's not that way. This is how you do it. Let me show you. Let's go one on one or let's let me play you in the shooting drill. The kids have so much more respect for you when you can get out there and do stuff like that. Um, so that's why I make sure I'm able to do it. You know, I work at it. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you this, because you said when you were on your visit, you saw Georgetown and, and the, the vision, like the size and everything with Patrick Ewing. Now, now you go to the Big East, you go to Boston College, and like you said, it was football, but you were there for basketball. You have this chip. Who were some of the guys that you came up against that you were like, wow, these are guys I watched? Who are some guys that you remember like, oh, now I'm playing against these guys? Who are some guys that had that that mystique or whatever? One guy I should have mentioned earlier, and, I'm, and it's a shame that I forgot, it was Pearl Washington. Like him and Pat Ewing, watching those guys on play in person, I was awestruck. Like Pearl, big Monday on ESPN. Like, I didn't have cable. I would ride my bike, like, 13 miles to my friend's house in the suburbs to watch Big Monday and stay over his house to go to school the next day. Pearl Washington was unbelievable. Just un unbelievable. So, like, to me, fear drives me. Like, like, fear of failure is something. And those guys put the fear of death in me. And knowing that I was going to play against Pearl Washington that whole season, I was looking forward to it, but I was scared to death because I think Monday 
<laughs> you know, I might BC might not be on every big Monday, but we was gonna be on TV. And guys like that was uh, were um, it was scary, man. I, you know, it was the first time I was ever walk onto the court and been like, yo, <laughs> do I really? You didn't, you didn't want to be on the wrong end of a highlight, that's for sure, especially on Big Monday. Exactly. So a couple more and we'll and we'll wrap this up with you. I know I want to thank you for your time and stuff tonight too. So when you you obviously you played a bunch of games in both of these arenas. I'm curious because when we played my my senior year which was your freshman year, I got changed early just to run out at Boston Garden to look up and see all those banners and you know, you're dribbling on the court and all of a sudden the ball just stays on the ground <laughs> on the ground. There were so many dead spots. Oh in that my point. god! And and there's 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 spy like this like the gaps were crazy as a point guard, you know. The first part of the question is how did that affect you? You know, playing there. And second part of the question, between the two iconic arenas, the and the two gardens, Boston Garden and Madison Square Garden, tell me about your experiences at both as far as how as a basketball fan, obviously when you were growing up and playing, you know. What was that like for you? Unbelievably, in the beginning, to play on that historic floor and to be a part, you know, of the beast and have the in there. But after a couple of games, bro, it was freezing in there. Like we had <laughs> thousand fans that, you know, in terms of the whole arena being empty. Whereas Robert Center, they were on top of you. You know what that I mean? That was crazy. Like, that place was, like, was crazy. Too close, like right, almost too close. So too close. I, rather play there but the biggies at that point had passed a rule yeah they had yeah. to play the arena so it was a great you know from a historic standpoint that wore off quickly man that wore off quickly i was freezing every time we played in there but now we go to the biggies tournament because we played st john's at st john's we never played at madison square garden right so we played in the biggies tournament to me was the closest that was to me saying I'm going to the NBA this weekend. You know what I mean? Like it's on TV. Every coach, every scout is there from the NBA. Every 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 star is there. I'm going to play in the NBA this weekend. And that was to me, my chance was to make it past the first Thursday game and make it to TV on Friday night. That was my <laughs> thing. And I think I only did it once or twice. You know what I mean? Once or twice. But um, unbelievable, man. Like that, that to me was a place where you almost, those two places are the two most iconic places I've ever been, you know? Now, did, that trans did that transfer to the pros too? Like when you played in those places, did you still have similar feelings, especially about Madison Square Garden? Yeah, I think so. Home, playing in Boston became a little more just normal to me. But the garden, yeah, because when you get to LA, you get to the garden, Maybe Miami, Chicago, when Jordan was playing, you—it's a different atmosphere, man. The bass is louder, you know. You seeing this, this, this singer and this, this rapper and this, you know, this dancer or this in this yeah. movie over here, and your energy is up. It's a different feeling, you know. It's a different feeling. So that, you know, there the Lakers, Chicago, it was just you. It was all the way up for those games, man. All the way up. So I got, I got to ask you about Jordan. Do you have any Jordan stories stories you want to share? You brought it up. We got to ask. My favorite. He's my favorite player growing up, man. All my high school pitches, I have my tongue out, you know, with a fake knee brace on. Nothing wrong with my knee, but I <laughs> hold it down like Jordan. So I'm a, I'm a senior in, in college, and they tell me I'm going to be a late first-round pick, maybe early second-round pick. And I'm going to all these senior tournaments, and I start moving up after I go to these senior tournaments because I'm playing point guard, and everyone thought I was just a shooter. The day before the draft, I get a call from the Chicago Bulls and I'm bugging. And I go out to Chicago, meet with the trainer, like Tim, I forget the great Tim Grover, the unbelievable trainer. He puts me through all these things. I meet with Jerry Krause, Doug Collins, and um, they're telling me they're going to draft me with the 21st pick. So, you know, no cell phones and nothing back then. You guys know. So I got, I got to wait till I'm all the way home to tell everybody I'm going to Chicago because I'm, I'm supposed to be a late first round pick, but I'm going 21st now. So I'm sitting at home watching the draft with my friend because everybody's at my house. I'm watching the draft and David Stern steps up and he's like, with the 16th pick, Seattle selects Donna Bariosi. 
And I'm like, who the hell is Donna? <laughs> <Bar-? laughs> when did you become Italian, Dana? I told you you had some Italian in you. I told you. Oh, or some Spanish dude's gonna come running out or something, right? I'm like, who the hell? My friend is hitting me like, yo, that's you. And I'm pissed off, bro. Chicago's like three and a half, four, uh, three or four picks later, I am pissed off because Jordan is sitting right there three picks later. And I it took me a week to get over that, man, right? So I get to Seattle. I'm neck, Now I'm with Kemp and I'm cool. Me and Sean Kemp's next door neighbors and I'm hanging with him. First exhibition game is against Jordan. 60,000 people in the, in the kingdom. Unbelievable, man. So I didn't get to play with MJ, but I got to play against him for 10 years at least. Wow. That's, that's unbelievable. That's some story. That's great. So last question, we'll let you go. So we talked about you working with the kids and we talked about, you know, you talked about a little bit about being undersized, you know, uh, for basketball. So what do you say to a kid when he comes up to you and says, Hey, that he wants to be like you. And maybe he's not, you know, the six foot five or seven or eight kid, or maybe he's just a regular normal kid that plays, and what do you tell a kid that wants to f- kind of follow in your footsteps and, and make it to the NBA one day? Well, especially now, now today's NBA, I say become a 45 to 50% three-point shooter. Now, when we're talking about guards, I'll tell a guard, a 5'10 guard that. I'll tell a 6'5 person that because they're a guard as well. Nowadays, 6'5 is a guard. So to me, shooting... The way they play the game is the great equalizer, but I would also say have an amazing handle. You know what I mean? To me, that shooting and ball handling, and we talked about the basics in the beginning, the greatest players in the game do those two things tremendously. Most of them do, other than the centers. You know what I mean? And and I tell the young kids especially, especially because they all watch Steph Curry. I say, please, please, stop the play, stop the video, when he starts to shoot, I don't even want you to watch that. I want you to watch his unbelievable handle and his unbelievable movement and footwork because he went zigzag three times before he caught the ball. Then he went between his legs behind his back, double crossover, between his legs again, off the pick, pull up. You missed the whole movement and the whole ball handle. And you're best mesmer- ball without the ball. He moves without the ball like nobody. Turns away and doesn't watch the shot go in. So what I tell the kids is watch this guy's movement, watch this guy's handle. And if you can shoot 45% and you can be a point guard and handle the ball, you can play anywhere in college, high school, or pros. There you go. Good advice, man. Good advice. Good advice. Well, thanks for sharing your time with me. Fellow Italian. That was pretty good advice. That was pretty good. Yeah, we like that. So thanks for sharing your time with us today, Dan. We really appreciate you coming out. I know. You you still have moves like a guard because we've been trying to get you now for about eight or nine months, maybe. So we, yeah, we appreciate elusive. you coming out. You know, please, yeah, not almost as elusive as Patrick. You know, Sonny. Great, Patrick, yeah. We got Pat, him. Good company. So, you got good company, Dan. <laughs> so thanks, thanks again for coming out. We really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. you you've been listening to the Big East Rewind with Chuck Everson and Sonny Sparrow. The Big East Rewind is produced and directed by Nick Chico Chorus and Daryl Gurney. You can check us out on all things social media by putting Big East Rewind in the search bar. And don't forget to please like and subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks a lot for joining us. Have a great night.